You're listening to the one-on-one with Juan and Only Sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Juan. Welcome to season two of the podcast. This season, we're going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I will talk to a new guest, and we will talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid-fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe and drop a review and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. Now with all that done, let's go. This week's guest is Shanee Crawford. Shanee has been playing Ultimate for 17 years in a multitude of divisions, including women's, mixed, masters, and even professional. She's won a silver medal at the U.S. Open in 2019 with Medellin Revolution, and she won a silver medal at the 2019 USA Ultimate Masters Championships in the women's division with IROT. The main teams she has played for include Atlanta Soul of the Premier Ultimate League, Atlanta Bucket, a club mixed team, Atlanta Ozone, a club women's team, and the Color of Ultimate, a game that celebrates people of color in Ultimate. Shani has also coached Ultimate at the middle school and high school levels, including for powerhouse programs Grady and Paideia, as well as collegiately with Georgia Tech Rec. She was previously the Director of Operations for the Atlanta Soul in 2020, and was a manager, captain, and one of the star players for the Soul in 2019. Having recently launched her own company, Discover Diversity, Shani is currently serving as an equity consultant for college, club, and professional ultimate teams. She was recently recognized as a recipient of the 2020 Spirit and Equity Award by USA Ultimate. This award was given in honor of her community service, contributions to equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives, efforts to support the equitable growth of the sport, and other positive off-the-field contributions exemplifying the spirit of the game. Shani currently lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Here is my interview with Shani Crawford. So I'm here with Shani Crawford. She wears many hats in the world, used to be a teacher, ultimate player, former director of operations for the Atlanta Soul, and now started an organization called Disdiversity with a pretty cool tour coming out as well, which we're going to hear about. So Shani, all the way from Atlanta, hot Atlanta, as we talked about off air. How are you doing today? She's going to bring a lot of hype, so be ready for that in the audience. How am I doing today? I can, but I choose not to complain every day. I am well, I'm breathing, my body feels good, and I am going to have an equity session in a couple of hours. So I know I will move the dial in a real way. So I am feeling freaking fantastic on this Friday. Love it. Love the hype. And so let's start off with talking about your foray into Ultimate. What got you started into the sport? We talked a little bit about this off air, but most likely at the time that you started Ultimate, there weren't a lot of people that looked like you back then. So what was your start like into Ultimate? That is true. And I think it's fitting to tell people that I was brought up in all white world. I mean, clearly my parents and my siblings are black, but I was always the only black kid in my class, in my gymnastics um, camp. And so I feel like I was equipped to enter into a very white sport. And I did that in college. I'm going to backtrack a bit. So I'm at the University of Georgia in Athens. It's fall 2002, and I've just moved on campus to a language community. If that sounds nerdy, awesome. But I was psyched to be able to live in French and Spanish full time. Anyway, that community was one of three that faced a giant quad. And so on that quad, that was where I first saw a Frisbee. I didn't even know what a Frisbee was. And I'm sure I laughed at first, you know, because I'm like, what? But I lived there. So eventually I would go out and I'd start to toss terribly with my friends. But I stuck with it because it was fun. 
from tossing after class, a friend who is still to this day a very dear friend asked me to come out to practice, to club practice. And I sincerely, my first practice, I got to lay out D. I didn't know what the sport was, but I knew that I could get to the goal before this other girl did. Anyway, from college and during college, so saw Frisbee fall 2002, played my first college season, spring 2003. That fall, 2003, I picked up with a club team out of the Gulf Coast called Holes and Poles. Holes and Poles, co-ed, okay. And I still am figuring out what this sport is. And I know now that my entrance was nothing short of glorious. And it's really not that typical to say it simply. In addition to getting just a ridiculous and absurd amount of free swag in the form of jerseys, hats, underwear, sports bras, I also traveled from Natty's in Austin, Texas in a teammate's private jet. What? <laughs> I would end my first club season with a third place finish at Nationals in Sarasota. And I still had no idea really what this thing was. After holes and poles, I kept on playing in college and I tried out for the women's team in Atlanta, Ozone. And from there, my goodness, I just played as much as I could and in as many ways as I could, right? So like pick up every kind of league, women's, co-ed, masters, goaltie, everything. Yeah. I'd say the highlight, like the pinnacle of my career was in 2019 mm -hmm, when finally a door was open to me to join what I consider to be the best team on earth and that is Revo. I got to play with those women at the open and it was everything to me. I think because for the first time, and I've been thinking about this, I had my first black coach and teacher and the way that he considered me, nothing else like it. Lots of good stuff there and uh, lots of things to further ask about for sure. So in terms of your sport background, let's go all the way back because you talked a bit about getting in in college, but were you playing other sports in high school back then to kind of get you ready for ultimate? Because most people, you know, if they've never played a sport, they don't just suddenly go on a club team and get third at nationals, right? So you obviously had some form of athletic background, right? This is another great question and I'm afraid to answer because I'm going to out myself kind of, but actually I think it's very obvious. Okay. As a child, I was very hyper. I talked all the time. I was super busy and I exhausted my parents who worked full time. And so their goal was to put me into an activity that would drain me. <laughs> and so they put me into gymnastics and I loved it. And so I did gymnastics my whole life. Like in sixth grade, I was still 4'3". So I was so, so small and it really showed. Anyway, I continued to do gymnastics until senior year in high school when I began to date the captain of my basketball team. And so inspired by him, or perhaps I just wanted to be able to keep an eye on him, I quit gymnastics and I became a basketball cheerleader. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I cheered my senior year in high school and I loved it. Went to college. I think I would like run, you know, like I would lift, but I hate working out. I got saved uh, by the Frisbee because I got fitness and fun. Yeah, I'm still keeping it together all these years later. Lifetime fitness, am I right? In terms of uh, picking ultimate, I mean, you could have picked a lot of different sports. You clearly um, enjoyed it. What specifically about the sport, both maybe community-wise, but also like the actual sport-wise, what led you to it that made you want to stick it out all these years? I'll start with play first, even though that is not the most important thing to me. And I'll just say personally, and I never say this, 
I always feel so bad talking about myself, like to pump up myself, you know? No, don't. Hey, this part of the podcast, you're the guest. You got to do it. I think I have been conditioned to try to fly under the radar. Anyway, so coming from gymnastics, I am very fast and I have crazy hops. And so even though I had never played a field sport, I had never seen a Frisbee. I was able to understand the sport and excel in the sport almost immediately. And so if I'm honest, like that may have taken my attention from the fact that I was alone because I didn't feel alone because even though the people that I was playing with didn't look like me, I mattered to them and they valued me because I was good. Does that make sense? So maybe that would have happened in any sport. If I'm honest, it probably would have because I just love people and I love to compete. I'm jazzed that it happened in Ultimate because I'm hooked still, right? And then the people, dang, there's so much I could say and we only have an hour. I will try to tell you a story to convey my understanding. Okay, after I played this college season and a club season and I flew on this plane and I came in third place, I still didn't know what Ultimate was. And so I began to really look at it on my college team in a deeper way because I wanted to know, am I going to dive all the way in here? And I did because of what I saw in the hearts and the behaviors of my teammates. And I don't even want to name them because I have a lot of famous teammates, right? But I went to college with one particular teammate and she is well off, fine. No one would ever guess that about her because she just could care less about means. She has means. Okay. But that's important. So it's my first like major away tournament in college and it's the Stanford invite. And I can still recall calling my dad. I'm, I'm in college, right? Like I've traveled before, but it's with my family, you know? So I'm calling my dad because I'm like, can I even get a plane ticket, you know? Anyway, it all works out. And even in college, I'm learning to get my work done so I can travel on the weekends and play this amazing sport, you know? I get there early in the morning on Saturday, like at two or three or something. And I walk into a house and it's in San Jose, right? Because mm -hmm. it's a student at Stanford that housed our entire team. And people are all over the place. And I walk in and I'm kind of thinking that I'll go in and I'll go to sleep because I have to get up and play in a couple of hours. But this teammate of mine was waiting because I was one of the last people to arrive from the airport. Even that is a wonderful story, but there's more. I walk in and that teammate is like, all right, now that everyone's here, I have something for you, okay? She goes to a giant box that she's traveled and opens the box and begins to toss out hoodies team hoodies that she's made for us. Like, oh, and I know now that swag is a part of our culture, but I had never experienced anything like that. And I was so impressed that this girl who I, I didn't even know her father's name or her birthday. And she was thinking about me and suffering loss in a way so that I could arrive to a foreign place and win. Are you serious? That's one instance, but so many moments like that are why this is the place I am given to. Yeah. I love the stories and we're going to have a chance to, to tell some more there. So why don't you kind of give a quick summary of your career in terms of the club level? We'll get into the PUL after and the opportunities that that has afforded many women across uh, the U.S. there in terms of being able to be seen in a crowd setting and all those good things. So in terms of your club career, you've bounced around, you've played Ozone, you've played Bucket. So what was the decision process for you to decide between playing mixed and women's, you know, year by year? What was that like? That is another great question, Theo. Dang. Um, opens the door for a little bit of controversy. I hope that you're okay with that. That's okay. <laughs> I was looking at my career and I was noting that I played for a lot of teams. And if I'm honest, um, I took off a... Lakers hoodie because I was raised on the Lakers, but I'm Golden State till I die. And I've loved Steph, not since Charlotte Christian, but since Davidson. 
And I love the idea of a player like Steph or like Kobe, and I'm wearing my Kobe bracelet, I've never taken off, having their entire career with one organization. Like, I just think it's legend, you know? And so as I'm going through my legacy, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, dang, Shimmy, why couldn't you kick it? So Holes and Poles was just fun. Like, that was my, Shimmy, do this. College was king to this day. Nothing will ever come close to my college experience. It was everything. Club was, at first, wonderful, sweet. It was a honeymoon. Mm -hmm. I played six seasons on Ozone. And then, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus ever, but I'll just say, on every team I've ever encountered, as a player, as an opponent, as a consultant, there are politics. There are politics to be considered in what should just be sport. Uh, and after six seasons, I was like, I think I'm ready to transition from this realm of ultimate into another realm. Fine. And so I went to play mixed bucket. But before I could get there, I tore my Achilles. This is 2010. I was forced to take one year off. I rehabbed. I came back 2011. I, I played bucket. I'm trying to drum up the feel of my last nationals on a club team because Bucket has yet to return to Natty's with me. And I didn't come back until 2018. Yeah. It'll take me too long to tell you this story, but after a devastating injury, I came back and I was not just as good as I was, I was better. And that was great because I thought that an injury would start me on a downward trajectory. Okay. But then, as I've mentioned, I don't know if I said it explicitly, but I will now. I love the Lord, Theo. I love the Lord. I was working at a private Christian school and I was just doing a lot of thinking about priorities, I guess. And it was all about me and all about my needs. And it was very little about the Lord unless I needed something. And I couldn't stomach that anymore. So I ended up leaving the classroom, leaving Ultimate. I retired from Ultimate in 2011. Mm -hmm. And I went to California for two years to a Bible school, Theo. My goodness. That was life and death, to say it simply. I came back to Georgia and I taught again at another private school, but not Christian. And that is a huge ultimate school here in Georgia. And so I slipped right back into the sport. I say slipped, but I'm happy. I didn't expect to play anymore or to teach anymore. But the Lord gave them both back to me with full joy and purpose. Uh, not just play, but um, possibility. Yeah. Okay. And the high school is the high school's Grady, right? Is that correct? Well, the first one is Paideia. Those two schools are like the kings of high school ultimate. If you're a high school or even college ultimate fan in the audience, you've probably heard of the Paideia School or Grady. Both of those schools are powerhouse programs in the high school scene, producing top recruits and club players. True. <laughs> and so I coached middle school, I coached high school, and I fell in love with the game again through the eyes of children because that's how life goes for me. I'm able to appreciate so many things by remembering how wonderful it is from someone who hasn't forgotten. And then I was feeling good as a coach and I'm like moving around as a coach and I was like, dang, I'm getting old, but I'm still really good. So 2016, mm-hmm. I tried out for Ozone again after five years. <laughs> it's wild. After five years. And I made it. It's great. In my five-year hiatus, the nature of the championship changed quite a lot. And from my understanding, tournaments were set up in such a way that what is already a gap between the top and the bottom is able to just become exponentially greater. So we were fortunate to, what's the word I want to say, to um, qualify to face off against these top teams before it mattered. And that makes all the difference. Because if, if your first time 
playing Fury or Riot is when you need to beat them, hang it up, buddy. Seriously, hang it up. Okay. The second season, 2017 with Ozone, I'm stronger than ever. I'm in my, what, 14th season? And Mike Lawler does a write-up on me. Uh, the Mike Lawler. And it's amazing. And he's like, this is a player I have never heard about or a player that's new to me. And he writes up our Ozone game at Colorado Cup in 2017. And I was filthy. I mean, I was really on one. I was really on one because at the previous championship that was the first time I had played on camera because I had taken a huge break right and so I buckled under the pressure and I did not play well so I had a huge chip on my shoulder and I went and I just played my heart out and it showed got this great write-up which ended up turning into politics actually because people anyway I am not going to get into it Except I kind of have to. Dang it. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all you. It's your interview. It's your story, right? We're, we're here to tell stories on the podcast, so be okay to tell your story there. And I that's think all that good. Mike's intention was good, and I was overwhelmingly full of appreciation to be made visible. But the spotlight was very quickly taken from me, and people began to say things like, well, you know, she's been playing forever, you know, which is true. Why is this just now getting written? Which is true. But I'm like, ask me. Because if you ask me, I'm elated. I'm ecstatic that in my old age, are you serious? Seriously? Okay, there's a lot more that I can say, but politics were very present on my own team that I love. I love all of the people on my team, but our culture was rotten. We had recreated the same social hierarchy that exists in Ultimate and in the world on our once, for me, safe, loving team. So I saw that, I felt that, and I had a choice to make because I was about to get some visibility and I was here for it. But at what expense? Couldn't do it. And so I parted ways with Ozone Oh, wow. Okay. For the conclusion of the season, because I just couldn't. I, I just couldn't be a fraud. That's the most that I'll say, because I love them. And we have made much progress together since then. I quit Ultimate. Uh-huh. A second time in 2017. And then 2018 rolls around and the soul is born. And I'm like, that's great, but I don't care. But then Maddie Fry, the owner of The Soul, reached out to me. And I liked it. I'm not going to lie. But I'm like, there are tons of players, there are tons of people younger than me. But, but here I am getting the call. So, so I went and I liked it. So I played. I played in 2018. I was not nearly fit enough. It's fine. At least you're admitting it, though. <laughs> we only had a single game. And, and it was fine. But coming into 2019, I was like, let's get it. So I got crazy fit. I agreed to captain, and I was also the team manager. So we kicked off our season in Colombia with the opener against Revo. Our second game was a weekend later in Austin, Texas. Oh, wow. It was three consecutive weekends. Uh, the third weekend was back in Atlanta, finally, against Revo. Oh, my God. We were crazy. And then we would also host um, the Gridlock. Uh-huh. We would do the Pool ch Championship weekend in Atlanta. I should be able to name all of these teams. This is terrible. Raleigh, Radiance, New York Gridlock. Medellin's revolution in the soul. That in and of itself was amazing. Are you serious? Like, I don't know. I'm a I'm an NBA fan. I was raised on it. Like, and if anybody is like, oh my God, she's a girl, have a girl hero, whatever. I'm so glad that I practiced to celebrate black men regularly. Love it. But 
it kind of felt like that to me, you know, like it was just frisbee, it was just plastic, but I could see that there was great potential to build something lasting and cool, but also world-changing, culture-shifting, concept-breaking, yeah. So that was 2019. I'm like, dang, I'm about to get into some drama. Are you ready? I'm like, crap. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I have to tell the truth. Because if I don't, I struggle to breathe, sincerely. If I say the whole truth and it costs me everything, fine. I'm fine with that. If I say not the whole truth and, and I win, I am not okay with that. Okay, so we're going into 2020 season and I've been promoted to the director of ops after a very successful inaugural pro season under a league. And the first order of business is to hire a coach. And so the soul hires Joel Wooten. Do you know him by chance? I think he played Chain Lightning, right? Yes, he did. He's a major. Like, he's kind of an ultimate legend. Drop the kind of. But immediately, because I know Joel and I know his upbringing, and I would make some assumptions that I would say to his face about his perspective and his understanding and his inclusionary practices, for lack of a better term. And so when I learned that he was going to be the coach... I pumped the brakes as the director of ops, right? I said, hey, owners, Angela Lynn, Maddie Fry, I feel like to hire a white male to head up this women's team whose mission is not even first gender equity, but racial equity, I think it's a bad look. I think the optics are bad. And I think that in the end, it's going to bite a player like me in the butt. And I told him, and they were like, well, we're hiring him. And I said, dang, okay, what can I do? I'm just me. I'm just me. If, if I weren't me, perhaps I could have pushed more, but I'm just me. So the next order of business was to get captains. So it comes down to three white women, three white women. I had just been captain the season before. And I was like, y'all, this makes me nervous again for a lot of the same reasons now all of our leadership is white. I think it looks bad, and I think that it's going to hurt a player like me in not too long. And they said, yeah, we heard you. We're doing it. Okay. So at that point, I was like, this is a bust. I can't possibly play under this leadership, but I do want to play still because I'm old, but I still have some miles left. Yeah. And in 2020, the league had built a new amendment allowance that would enable players, kind of like with the series, to begin on a team and to switch to another team just once. And so I'm thinking, this is freaking great. I don't have to play under this oppression. I'll start with the New York gridlock because my college captain is a co-owner. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Except that I made my case, like with the coach and like with the captains, I made my case and I was told that allowance does exist, Shani, for players. But you are a player and an employee. And so that option is not available for you. And I said, dang. <laughs> you said triple dang, then it sounds like. I said triple dang and then I quit. <laughs> I said, triple dang, and then I quit. Because as great as the league can be or stands to be, it is going to be mostly great for white women. And I'm glad that I'm saying that online because time will tell. I will also say that the coach that was chosen back in February after Ahmad was murdered, as I predicted, he came back and he made a really coarse, just inappropriate joke about a challenge that our team had instituted to raise money by running miles for a mod. And so he gets on and because one player is a track star, he puts a limit on the number of miles that people can run because it wouldn't be fair for the track star to make us look bad, he says. There's laughter in the thread. Maddie even 
comes back in and says something, you know, like funny. And I'm heartbroken because I'm like, wow, it seems so good to me that my mostly white teammates would be wasting themselves, seriously, would be running on behalf of Amont. But instead, the coach and arguably the face of this professional women's team whose mission is primarily racial justice, he says, nah, nah, it's, it's not too important to run. I got on a call with him, with the owners, because I was heartbroken and I wanted understanding because I, I didn't just want to quit. I always first seek reconciliation. And he said a bunch of things to me. I'll tell you two. The first thing he said was, I've learned that you can't be responsible for how you make people feel. That's on them, which is fair. Okay. But we work together. We're attempting to link arms and hands to grow a, an institution. The second thing he says to me is, and this is after the owners, I'm texting them, help me, help me because we're on a Zoom. They say to him, yeah, I think you're right, but is there any way that, you know, you could apologize? I think you hurt her feelings and what she needs is an apology. And what Joel said was, I've been working really hard on apologizing and I've gotten really good at it. That's literally what he said. And so I just took my phone and I texted them, hey, I don't think I'm going to get anything useful off of this call. I would like to leave. And then I left the org shortly after that. To launch my own. Mm-hmm. So for the audience, it's not always, uh, I mean, a lot of the stories that we share are positive, but sometimes there's a little bit of trial and tribulation and things like that. So it's great to hear people going through that as well. And so that transitions really well into you talking about the organization that you've launched and the tour that's coming up as well. So why don't we get into that before we head into, and we'll kind of combine it a little bit with segment two where we talk about your daily life in the org. But let's start with, what was your thinking into starting this organization itself? You've been part of the Color of Ultimate Tour, which I think preceded the start of this organization. So you maybe have seen, were you part of that uh, organizing committee? You were, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I was um, one of the four founding members. The org is called Project Diversity, and it's like a sub-org of our parent governing body here in Atlanta. And so Project Diversity put on the color of ultimate, and that actually was preceded by me leaving academia. And I have to say that because I realized as I left the classroom that my whole life I've been searching for a microphone. Here we are, and I'm sitting on a microphone, so yes, but I've been searching for a microphone on behalf of people who can't get close enough to the microphone. Does that make sense? So I thought I could do that in academia, but I learned that ceiling, ceiling here, so I left academia, and then I thought I could do it in professional ultimate because, I mean, visibility, am I right? But my God, ceiling. And then I... Got a pretty good start with the color of ultimate, but ceiling, and I'll just say, and I heard this on a session on Wednesday, I think, all kinds of people have anti-black tendencies, including black people, but all kinds of people. So even as a member of a minority org, I still found myself back against the wall. And so with all of my trying and failing, I think I wanted to complain, but that's not my constitution, so... Yeah, you said at the top, you don't complain, so there you go. (laughs) Yeah, so I tried to give something, like I tried to offer a solution, right? And so that came in the form of Discover Diversity. I launched my own podcast, Theo, in May 2020, Mm -hmm, May 29th. And it went so well that the AUDL invited me to do an anti-racism panel with Gabe Hernandez, right? Yeah, yeah. I viewed that one. I'm sure lots of people did. Lots of uh, good discussion on that and a diverse group of players as well. You had Dylan Larberg on there as well. 
Calvin Williams, right? So Lexi. Lexi Garrity, yep. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm so sorry, people, that I'm forgetting. AJ Beard from Seattle. Okay. So the company at first was just these podcasts because that was the feeling of our community. Um, people were looking and listening. And so I thought to serve them what they were ready for. That was very good, but I wanted to do more than just a one-off talk about something. Like I wanted to have a, cultivate a lifestyle of talking about and handling these things. So in August, I launched my own equity consulting firm. It is a part of DD. And I just got to read these numbers here now. So since August, 2020, I've facilitated over 70 Zoom sessions with more than 20 teams and orgs. And what can I say? I know my goal is to meet people where they are, but to take them to where I want to be. And if I'm honest, where I want to be is free, buddy, free. I work super hard onto equity because I have other dreams but inequity is standing in front of them. So I can't do anything until I can level so many systems that are blocking me from truly shining. So I have a destination in mind, but I never know if I get there. But I do know now because I graduated 10 classes last fall. And I asked them with respect to equity, what had they lost and gained? And I'm just going to read you what they gained. Yeah. Conversation, vocabulary, inquisition, self-awareness, resources, the courage to act, a community of accountability, perspective that's not white-centered, stamina, strength, patience, understanding of how I interact in spaces, family dialogue, perspective on the longevity of the fight, knowledge that I'm a part of the problem. Could you imagine A gatekeeper saying this to me on a Zoom? It's medicine, Theo. Empathy, willingness to be wrong. I see the spectrum. I'm on it. Appreciation for individuals at my real job because I'm trying to do work that will transcend the safety of a Zoom call. Team hope, responsibility, duty, and my all-time favorite, reality. Let's get it. Let's get it. So that's what I'm doing. Oh, yeah, and and the tour. My God. Yeah, talk about the tour there because we've seen, if you're an Ultimate fan, even a few years ago, you've seen it, right? There was the Next Gen Tour. There's been the Eurostars Tour. There was an Asiana Oceanic Tour as well, which is cool. And so now there's the, I, I first, I will admit to the audience here, I first thought it was content, but now I will admit my mistake, it's continent. So you're able to share why that is. So you can make fun of me for that. But talk about the name of the tour, why you came up with the name, and the concept of it. It's only in three cities, right? In the fall of 2021. So it's it's something new and really cool. So And it was just reported, like, literally today of the recording of who's going to be on it. So why don't you give a whole spiel about the tour and maybe how people can support as well if they want to. So it's called The Continent because 10 is my building block. There are 10 core players And continent is in homage to the continent, which is Africa. This is an all-black tour. And I don't want to be mean, but you said that there have already been so many great tours. And you named one that arguably could be called an all-white tour. But it wasn't called that. And I think because of that, it was received with open arms. I'm not having the same reception, but if I'm honest... I'm happy that I'm not because I hope that people will see I am doing what I've seen people do, but it's not landing in exactly the same way, but that's not on me. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So what is the tour? You said it's only in three cities only. Well, coming out of a panini, it seemed ambitious to do five stops. Yeah, I should hype it up. It's going to three cities. That's you're right. (laughs) The tour is Five cities, but I'm going to start with three, Philly, the Bay, and Seattle. The goal is also to pull off a community project, but in the spirit of COVID, I have pivoted 
and I'm doing a six week summer program. I'm going to launch an application in a couple of weeks, but, and it's just for youth in the tour cities, but I'm going to try to get 12 to 15 youth ambassadors to sit with me for six weeks. So six 90 minute sessions in the summer. I'm going to teach them some things. They're going to teach me some things, but all of us together are going to assemble something, content. And I can't say too much, but it's going to be rolled into. I can't even fit the whole picture in my head, but I'm cooking up something massive. It's a feast for the entire ultimate community. And all of us will eat and be satisfied. Mm -hmm. What else can I say about the tour? Five stops. So three showcase stops. And then I am working on two community clinics. Uh, and so I'm talking with Chicago and New Orleans right now. The goal will be to bring the communities together in a meaningful way. And that will likely mean that ultimate is at the very bottom of the list. So in my mind, it's getting black owned restaurants to, to come through barbers, tattoo artists, players in their realms. I am thinking of the book stone soup. Have you heard of that story where everybody has something? That's a classic book to read in the school in the elementary schools right there. Everybody has something, but it's not that great on its own. But when we all put our ingredients together, there is global eating and satisfaction. What else about the tour? Apparel companies, B is going to kid us in Philly. Double Happiness is going to take care of the Bay. And... Breakmark is due in Seattle. I've met with them all. I've seen the designs. I'll be launching online stores soon. I'm doing all I can to try to get people to bet on us with their dollars, not just their words, because yeah, it's going to take fiscal agency to make change. So if you want to learn more, you can go to their website and there's an option to donate as we were talking about. So you can donate as well put uh as they say the money where the mouth is right so why don't you uh plug the website i'll make sure to get that in the show description there let's go it's discoverdiversity.org discoverdiversity.org i say disc diversity but technically this is called disc over discover diversity yeah yeah it's all good so we're gonna go into the second segment a bit shorter than your journey but in terms of your day-to-day life, let's talk exclusively, because we've talked a lot about your ultimate career, let's talk more about what you're doing daily with, now that we know the real name, Discover Diversity, not Disc Diversity there. So what does your daily life look like there? You're running these equity sessions, as you mentioned, but what are some other things you're doing as someone who's operating your own organization? I'm sure you're going to have to do some of the marketing, you know, answering emails, like there's a lot going on, right? So Talk about that. What does your daily life look like doing that and kind of getting the tour ready as well? I'm going to take you through a day like today. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I do is I wake up and I spend anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours on social media. Are you serious? Gross. I have to see what's happening and I need to engage with people. Yeah. I'm also creating content and I'm uploading content to try to make myself a place to consider. Okay. After that, I will exercise. The goal is to always get my heart rate up for like 20 to 30 minutes. I'll go for a run or I'll do a workout video or yoga. After that, I'll eat breakfast. I'm vegan. I cook every single meal. I never eat out. Like I never eat out because I'm super frugal. So today I did two waffles. I did a blueberry strawberry compote. I'm not kidding. And I ate two sausage patties. Okay. After that, every single day, it is built in, but I forget sometimes. And if I forget, it's a terrible day. The next thing I have to do is read for 15 to 20 minutes, the Bible for sure. And if there's extra time, something for my heart. So for a long time, that was my grandmother's hands 
by Resma Minikin. There's so much I could say about that book, but I recommend it to all kinds of people. It's for white bodies, black bodies, and police bodies in particular. But that man is committed and equipped to heal us. After that, I check my daily to-do list and I organize each day into tasks because I have to finish all of the things for each day or else I can't sleep. So those tasks are typically emails, Zoom calls, emails could be from anything from internet connectivity to, to tour planning. If I'm doing tour planning, that could be meeting with the heads of the cities or the, uh, or the apparel companies or my media team, my God, or the 10 person black core, or I could be on a call with Chicago or NOLA trying to figure out the community clinic. If I'm not doing tour building, I'm lesson planning for the equity sessions. And if I'm not lesson planning, but I'm actually giving or facilitating an equity session, I, I have one at 3.30 today. So there's always something to do. And I'm so happy about that. It, it stresses me out sometimes too, but I'm thankful that my hands are full during a panini. <laughs> I like that you call it that. And uh, during this interview, you can definitely tell you're like me. You got to have something to do. You know, you can't just be sitting around. That's like me as well. So I totally get it. You can't, you're not sitting idle for a few hours at a time. That's not you as you're shaking your head there. I love it. Even if I need to, I, I can't because there are, are always things to, to be done. After I do my online stuff, I'll eat lunch and then I'll take a nap. Mm -hmm. I might not fall asleep, but I will at least close my eyes and I will unplug from screens and concerns about other people. And I just try to be selfish and I take care of myself. Typically, I have an evening session Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I'm offline by about 9.30 p.m. I'll eat dinner, I'll take a shower, I'll watch a basketball game, obviously. And then weekends, I'll work if I feel like it or, or if I have to, but my goal is to never have to work on the weekends ever again. I just think it's, as a teacher, I'm like, my God, I literally got paid for eight hours a day, but I literally work like 18 hours a day or something, you know, because I'm thinking about them. Yeah, it's not, uh, as we were talking about this off air, it's not 40 hours a week as a teacher. It's probably, you're looking at maybe 60, 70 or more. And also just the emotional uh, hours that you spend just thinking about how you can better your practice, how you can help your children, not just in the classroom, but in life. So I totally get that. I love the unplug idea. And you mentioned you're watching basketball. Are you watching the Toronto Raptors at all? Because, uh, you know, they were champions. It's been a little bit now. It's been a year and a bit or more. So you watching the Raptors at all? You you, you thinking they're going to do well or what? I'm trying to think of a name. Wait, hold on, hold on. Don't say anything. Siakam. Yes. Yeah, everyone knows who he is. And so even as I struggle to find a player name, that let me know I have not been watching the Raptors. But more than ever, I am watching all kinds of teams now as a NBA fanatic. And it's because everybody's so good. Are you serious? Like, I freaking love that on any night, literally anybody can win. I am a hardcore Lakers fan still. And like, they're the champs, but I'm like, they might take an L tonight. This is amazing. So yeah, I, I am watching all kinds of teams. I, I love the Pelicans. I love Zion. I, I think he's amazing. And he's a young man. Oh, and he's leading. And he's in the very beginning of his career. Oh, his high school highlights. I remember watching like a couple of high school mixtapes and He's just dunking on kids. He was like already 6'8", I think, at that point or something. And he was just like killing it. And I couldn't believe it. Then he, he had a good year at Duke. And yeah. Like a ballerina. It doesn't make sense to me. There are way too many players that I could go off on, but I won't because ultimate. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's all good. As you mentioned with ultimate, that segues well to the third part there. We're going to talk about your favorite games and least favorite game or tournament. 
So a long career there. So you have a lot of choice with which to pick from. So do you want to start with the good or the bad there? Thank you for asking. I'd like to start with the bad because I want to end on a high note, okay? Yeah, you want to end with the good feelings. I like it. Yeah, and the bad is shorter than the good. And I always have to be very careful because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I have to tell the truth. So without giving too many details, I'm like, Dad, you already know some of this stuff. I was playing with a team, okay, after not playing for quite some time. But despite not playing, I was playing very well. Great. Towards the end of our season, getting ready to go into Natty's, my team had a retreat. Wonderful. And so the, the game that we, that we played was actually not on the field, all right? But this game still changed forever the way that I played on the field with that team, yeah? And it changed it because in an instant, that game revealed in a way that I could no longer ignore that there were, there was a very dangerous social hierarchy in our midst, yeah? Not only did it exist, but in an instant, I could see that my team was fully committed to upholding it. And it kind of wrecked me. And I obviously didn't continue to play with that team. I feel like I'm going to say something positive, but I can't. <laughs> I'll just say that <laughs> considering how much I love this community and this sport to this day, and I've lost games that I shouldn't have lost, you know, like on the pitch to this day, that's the worst game I've ever played in my entire life. Yeah, that one. Okay, that's over. Let's talk about the positive one. Yeah, good feelings now. Maybe on the pitch too. <laughs> this is on the pitch, and I know it doesn't have to be a game. I won't say too much. I'm just going to set it up. Okay, this is my favorite game of all time, and it was during regionals, my fourth year in college. Okay, and my team, UGA, was losing to our rival, Florida. Okay? Mm. And it was six to eight, game to nine. All right. In addition to never having lost to fuel in my entire college career, we were also playing in the game to go. All right. You're setting up a good story here. I love it. So during an offensive timeout, my ex girlfriend, who was a very nervous thrower, called a timeout. Okay. And so my coach was like, all right, just throw anything towards Shani because our connection was unreal. And I'm there in the huddle and I'm like, yeah, just throw anything. And she does. Immediately after the timeout, she nearly dirt this pass and I make a full extension bid to snag it. Scrape, snag it, save it. A few passes later, we're in the end zone and it's seven to eight bad guys. Okay, so we're lining up, we're on D and I, am looking across the field and I choose a cutter, a downfield cutter. I know I can get a block on because I've done it before. You know what I'm saying? So once we're in play, I convince the cutter and the thrower that the cutter is an option. She's not. As soon as the disc goes up, I put my head down. I sprint. Once I'm at full speed, I look at her. I lay out. I catch it. Freaking fantastic. That's got to be on video, right? So this is 2006. I don't believe it is. In 2008, there was a highlight reel made from the ship. And it's all men and me. And it's the only video footage I've ever seen of myself as a young player. Be impressed. People weren't looking to film players like me. I was very good, but... People didn't care. Okay, so get that block. A few passes later, we're in the end zone again, and it's eight. Oh, let's freaking go. Okay, so I can't even tell you who I picked for the next defensive strike, but as soon as the disc was released, I drifted from my person. I had no intention of guarding her, and she wasn't going to cut. She had seen what I had just done, right? So I drifted towards the open lane. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the thrower, and as soon as the throw goes off, I put my head down. I sprint. For a third time, I full extension layout. I catch the frisbee. Uh-huh. 
This time, two passes later, one is a super wangy, floaty, dangerous backhand thrown by Maggie Jackson. I'll never forget. It's caught in the end zone by a teammate, and we won nine to eight. Yeah! It was the best. It was the best. Still undefeated, Fuel. Let's go. <laughs> Love the story right there. And I can just imagine the field right now. Where where was this? This was uh, Southeast Regionals, right? So where would have this uh, taken place? This is in the state of Florida. And I want to say it's on the University of Florida's campus. Mm-hmm. It had rained that week and the field was terrible. I was late on Saturday because my ex and I were staying with her family. And I got benched for like a... For like an entire game on Saturday. Anyway, like it just got off to a terrible start the weekend. Oh, but it turned. <laughs> yeah, I, li I like the good feelings you're feeling now. And so now we can go into a rapid fire here. We're going to start with some ultimate questions first. So which throw do you prefer, your flick or backhand? Flick. What about hammer or scuba? <sighs> hammer. All day. Okay, so... This one's, uh, you have to visualize this. You're going to either drop a pull or drop a catch in the end zone. Which one do you choose? Oh my God. Drop a pull? Mm, that is not enough room to play defense. I'm going to drop a catch in the end zone. Okay. What about you're going to nationals and you have a chance. I'm going to tell you, you're going to win one gold medal only, or you're going to win five straight silvers. Which one? Okay, uh, well, I'm 38 years old, B.O., so I'm going to get that gold. <laughs> you're going to get that gold and retire for good is what you're saying. Yes. What about the name of Ultimate? I know there's been some, uh, you know, rumblings that they should change the name, so that's why I ask it on the pod there, or people don't like it, you know? So do you think Ultimate should stay as Ultimate? Wait, what? Change the name? Some people say they should change it to something else. No. To what? I don't know, some people like Frisbee, but obviously Frisbee's trademark, so you can't use that. <laughs> the thing about Ultimate is it's appropriate. It is final. It is top, right? And even if it's not yet, because we do have a lot of growing to do, I want that to be our goal. Not Frisbee. Seriously? Get out of here. Ultimate. Love it, love it. Okay, got two more for these Ultimate ones for you. Should Ultimate have referees, like, overall in the game? That might be a controversial thing some people want. Even if, yeah, at, at different levels, should Ultimate have referees at all? So, I love the NBA, but I know that there is bias in arbitrating. And so, as a Black woman, I'm very anti-ref. And then, with respect to the sport that I love as a black woman, I think I love it because it is self-officiated. And so I don't know that I would be able to continue to love it if something that I despise was made officially a component. Yeah, no, good answer for sure. What about should Ultimate continue to pursue its place in the Olympics? Because that's another thing people have been uh, talking about as well. Okay, that's hilarious. And I'm honored that someone would ask my op opinion on that. I guess I would look at what I think. Okay, so the governing body of the sport seems to have that as a goal. And I think that because it has that as a goal, some of the things that it does hurt the sport. D does that make sense? And based solely on how I've seen the Olympics change our culture, I don't think it's a good thing to be pursued after. I think that refs are, are unto the Olympics. Like it's a legitimizing of our sport. And I think that I, I love our sport because it's outside of traditional orthodoxy. Counterculture in some ways, right? Would you say? Yes. Yes. And so. All right. Appreciate that. So now I'm going to give you some ones. You know, you're going to have to do a little thinking on these ones. Some non-sports questions for you, or at least the first two will be. I'm going to give you a chance to share a meal with three people in the course of human history. So they could be living or brought back from the dead as well. So, yeah, you can choose who to have this epic meal with. A vegan meal, of course. But uh, this epic meal with. Who are you going to share that with? 
Okay, I'm like, three is a lot. I'm like, one is very good. Okay, the first person is my favorite person, my favorite human. Even though he's invisible, he's the most important person to me in the world. That's Jesus. Mm-hmm. The second person, I'm like, dang, I'm going to get two and three, and they're all coming out of the Bible. Jacob, because Jacob got rocked, but if you asked him, he was shepherded his whole life. So I need to know what was going on, Jacob. And the third person would be Paul, the Apostle Paul, because Paul was the worst of the worst. And I'm alive because of Paul. Seriously. So I got to see what was going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the one formerly known as Saul there. So <laughs> there you go. Good stuff there. You're not the first person to answer with the biblical theme. So it's uh, it's good to hear on the pod. And uh, now, a music question there. I know uh, Atlanta's got a music scene, right? I mean, most cities do, but Atlanta definitely does. So you're going to put on the concert of your choosing. So don't think like a concert that everyone wants to hear. It's like a concert for you, okay? You're allowed to book any band or artist in the world. You know, they could have been broken up, or if they're not alive, unfortunately, you can bring them back. And you got to pick the order. So you got to pick the three, you know, artists or, or the groups and the order. So who's going to start, who's going to be in the middle, and who's going to end it? Wow. Okay. Um, so the first person that comes to mind is my favorite male singer, but he's more than a singer. He is an incomparable musician, uh, and that's Stevie Wonder. And I think I would start with him because he brings energy, and he also has the ability to transcend so many things. And I think it's because that is the kind of person he is. His music helps me to overcome. Okay. And the next person I would invite, even though she's number one in my heart, I would have her second or third. I'm like, dang, I would have her second. Whitney Houston. I'm a singer. I've sung my entire life. I could sing every song that woman has ever sung and duplicate her breath. I love her. The last person? Yeah, who's closing out the concert now? So there's a lot of people that come to mind, but it would have to be someone, because I'm sure that this concert is like unto social justice, right? So this person has to be fire, and also they have to be saying something. And so the person that comes to mind, because I've been listening to them a lot, is Anderson Pock. He is catchy. But he's not giving people milk. I mean, it's just steaks on a stupid beat. Yeah. Love it. That's your concert there in Atlanta. That's awesome. And last question here. You can't answer ultimate. I know you love the sport. We've heard that at length, which is great. And I uh, love people that are passionate about it and want to make a difference in it as well. So for you, though, I'm going to give you a chance to have all the talent in the world. And you have to pick a different sport to play. Uh, it could be a team sport, right? Or it could be like golf track tennis i don't know whatever that looks like so what would you pick uh in this fantasy world where you're able to do something else well you said fantasy so i guess like all restrictions are off but i immediately yeah. thought of something that would enable me to excel even though i'm of a certain age now and i thought of swimming <laughs> Swim forever because I'm not going to take the same pounding. Yeah. And maybe my gymnastics background, I don't know, my or diving, yeah, might lend itself to success or celebrity. Yeah. Diving is uh, pretty, I mean, I've watched a little bit of it and uh, it's kind of scary. Like you're up pretty high and you're doing some flips. And if you don't land, you know, properly straight, your feet are proper, it's not good. So. It's a tough sport, but I like that in the fantasy world, you would choose it. Scratch diving. I think it's dangerous. I'm not trying to hit my head. You're right. Love it. So that ends our show for today. If people want to find out more about you, Shanee Crawford, they want to find out more about Discover Diversity, the continent tour, as we've now discovered, where can they find all this information online? I'll put it all in the show description, but plug all that good stuff right now. So I make sure I get that in there. Okay. I'm going to say my site again, that's discoverdiversity.org. From there, you can find my YouTube channel, 
On Twitter, I'm at disc underscore diversity. On IG and FB, I'm disc forward slash diversity. Are there any games in particular that you would uh, like the audience to check out that you're featured in? Because I know uh, some of the guests, they like to shout out some of the games so people can see the guest in action there. I would say COU Atlanta 2019. I would say that Colorado Cup game, Ozone and Riot. This is 2017. Is it online? Do you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you might have to have an an ulti world subscription or something anything else or any of the pool games i've played in i'll say in particular the semi-final against revo that's an epic game by the way epic epic game mosquera is the best player in the game to me and so i just love to be able to do anything related to the sport with her against her great with her is much better All right, so that ends our show. Do you have anything else to say to the audience before we uh, sign off here? Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Just kidding. Thanks for listening. And seriously, thank you, Theo, for bothering to talk with me. Yeah, we had a great conversation today. So, uh, yeah, definitely excited about it. So thanks again for coming out all the way from Hotlanta. I hope to visit there one day. Yeah, it sounds like a good place to be right in the south. It's nice warm weather, right? So I'm looking out at snow right now. I don't think that's your reality. Not at all. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Nicholas Whitlock. Nicholas, at only 21 years old, has already represented Team New Zealand three times in international competition and was selected to be on the New Zealand mixed team for the 2020 World Ultimate and Guts Championships that were postponed. In this interview, Nicholas shares about starting with the national program as a 15-year-old and what Ultimate is like in New Zealand. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports, and you can see some of my commentary highlights on YouTube at Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.